I have only pretty recently put my foot down and said, no, I deserve to be here and I will be here and I'm staying here. And I've been in the industry almost 10 years. So it's taken a really long time to not only convince people that I have the talent and the staying power, but also convince myself. You're listening to Burnt Toast. This is the podcast where we talk about diet culture, fat phobia, parenting, and health. I'm Virginia Soul Smith, and I also write the Burnt Toast newsletter. And today I am chatting with Kaisha Haume, who is a senior apparel designer for Forever 21, where she focuses on the plus size market. And she's also one of the only working designers at a major corporate fashion label who both makes plus size clothes and lives in a larger body. So some of you are going to know Kaisha from Gene Science. That is the series I've been doing on the Burnt Toast newsletter where I have been trying on so many pairs of jeans. It is ridiculous. I think I'm up to 60 pairs at this point in my quest to find jeans that fit plus size bodies, namely mine because I didn't have any jeans that fit. It's been a rocky endeavor and it has led me to go down many reporting rabbit holes, understanding the history of denim and women's clothing and also the many barriers within the plus-size market to creating a market that actually fits our bodies, makes clothes we want to wear. All of the things that I don't have to tell fellow fat people, we know the struggle is so real. Kaisha is someone who is working so hard to change things from the inside. Her story is really important, and she's someone who I think we should be supporting. So I'm really excited to share this conversation with you. We talk about her experiences, as a fat designer and a woman of color in a very thin white industry. We also talk about a lot of the ins and outs of making clothes and why the plus market needs to be doing things differently. So it's a really great conversation. I can't wait for you to hear it. But first, a quick break. So if this was a normal podcast, that music playing would let you know that I'm about to start talking about my favorite new meal kit service or my favorite new diet app. But this isn't a normal podcast, so we don't do that here. Instead, I keep Burnt Toast ad and sponsor free with the help of paid subscribers. It's just $5 per month or $50 per year, and that gets you a whole bunch of great perks, including subscriber-only bonus episodes where I answer your questions about diet culture, fat phobia, parenting, and health. You also get all of the reported essays, including Gene Science, my monthly Ask Virginia column, all delivered directly to your email, and you become a part of the Burnt Toast community with commenting privileges and our super awesome Friday thread discussions. So just click the link in your episode description or go to virginiasoulsmith.substack.com to subscribe. And if you want to support the show but don't have $5, remember you are also helping tons when you subscribe for free in your podcast player and even more if you leave a rating or review. Or just tell a friend about the show and get them listening. Or just keep listening. That works too. Whatever you do, thank you so much for listening and supporting independent anti-diet journalism. Hi, Kaisha. Thank you for being here. Hi, Virginia. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be joining you. I'm really excited to have you on. You and I have chatted quite a bit for the Gene Science Project at this point, Mm -hmm. but I just knew after our first conversation that I had so many more questions for you and I really wanted to hear more of your story. Tell us how you got into fashion design. Like what called you to this work or how did you land in this work? Funny because throughout my whole entire educational career, I had wanted up until, I don't know, maybe 
11th grade, I had wanted to go to music school to pursue music. And I wanted to go to Berkeley College of Music and like follow my dreams of being a star. No, I didn't want to be a star. I just wanted to be a singer and I loved music. But I took a fashion merchandising class my senior year of high school. It was an elective credit and I was like, okay, I'll take this. My first semester, I just fell in love with it. Amazing. And I was like, you know, I could do this. I could be in the fashion industry. I could work here. I feel like I could really influence and impact it in some way. My fashion merchandising teacher was amazing, really encouraging, really excited about hearing that I wanted to be in the industry. And I remember she said something specific to me, like, we need more people like you in the industry. So were you interested in clothes as a kid? Like, were you a kid always playing dress up and that kind of thing? Yeah, I was. I had always had interest in fashion. My mom is a very fashionable person. She always made sure that we had really fashionable things to wear. And she was always very strong about individuality and really making sure that we stay true to ourselves and not follow like trends that other mm -hmm. people were doing. It's so interesting too, as being like a child who loves fashion, but also a child who couldn't wear the fashion. Yes. Because I remember only being able to shop at like Dillard's and JCPenney. I couldn't go into like limited two. And I remember also we would get Delia's catalogs. And I remember like laying and just like flipping through Delia's catalogs and like circling things I wish that I could wear. Because back then, that's how you shopped. Oh, yeah. You, oh, the Delia's catalog catalogs. was formative to my existence. <laughs> yes, I wanted. I love everything. Do you remember the belts with the seatbelt yes. buckles? Which now that I think about it is like its own many layers of problems. <laughs> since we know airlines are not a size inclusive space. Absolutely. But I didn't really think about it as an eighth grader. I just wanted that belt so badly. <laughs> I wanted to be Adelia's girl. Yeah. I wanted to wear the denim. I wanted to wear the fun prints, even like the house section, like the bedding. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be like Adelia's bedroom. I was all about it. And I remember also I was a nylon girl. I remember just dreaming and wishing, like, I wish that could be me. Like, I wish I could have that stuff for myself. And just being really sad that I couldn't. Especially back then, those were not brands that were remotely size inclusive or really any kind of inclusive. So you were mm -hmm. really seeing, yeah, the same skinny white girl over and over again in that yeah. Delia's catalog. Mm -hmm. When I was a kid, it was like the low-rise jeans and all that visible torso that really, really did a number on our generation. <laughs> um, the amount of visible torso you had to deal with in the 90s yeah. and the early 2000s. <laughs> So let's talk a little more about that as you then got into the industry, because obviously what we were seeing in catalogs was not inclusive. Fashion historically and currently is a very mm -hmm. thin white industry. So how has that been for you as a plus size woman and a woman of color getting into these rooms? I was born and raised in Utah. And if you come away knowing anything about Utah, pretty much Utah is like a bubble. Mm -hmm. You live in a very large bubble. You don't understand anything outside of what your world is inside this very cookie cutter picture. 
Not only that, but I was a brown girl, a biracial brown girl being raised in the middle of Utah who was not Mormon. And religion is a very big part of the community in Utah, especially where I was living. The county that we lived in, everybody calls like Happy Valley. It's an evocative name. (laughs) I don't think that I was fully aware of my diversity and how different I was from other people. I think I lived in my own little world. So when I moved to L.A., because I moved to L.A. after university to pursue fashion, I went to FITM. I mean, I was aware of how different the world is outside of Utah, but not fully aware of like how I would be treated differently. Mm. Not only for the color of my skin, but also being a fat brown woman in the industry. And I think going through fashion school, I think a lot of my peers underestimated me, but I didn't understand how hard and difficult it was going to be to get in the industry. I didn't realize how difficult it would be to advocate for myself and really say I deserve a seat at this table. I think I have only pretty recently put my foot down and sort of said, no, I deserve to be here and I will be here and I'm staying here. And I've been in the industry almost 10 years. I'm going on eight years in LA now. Mm -hmm. So it's taken a really long time to not only convince people that I have the talent and the staying power, but also convince myself. Because the fashion industry is such a girls club and it's a popularity contest no matter what company I've been at, that has been consistent. There's always the cool girls. There's always the people who have each other's backs in the way that even if they're not very good at their jobs, because they look the part and they play the part, they'll keep the part. Did you feel like when you were interviewing for jobs or even in the places you've worked, that people have this kind of preconceived notion of what the fashion girl needs to look like. Absolutely. Absolutely. Not only that, but my name is Kaisha. Mm-hmm. Straight out the gate, you've already got probably an idea about who I am without even meeting me. You're probably already overlooking my resume because my name is too hard to say. And you're probably assuming what race I am mm-hmm. without even diving deeper to see what kind of skill set I have, what actually my resume does say. And I absolutely felt like I didn't fit in. And it was hard for a long time to constantly feel like every single day I was going to work, I don't belong here, but this is what I love to do. Yeah. And once you enter corporate fashion, you're also up against people who have such thin bodies, their whole lives are pretty much surrounded by diet culture and being thin and fitting into clothes and fitting a certain, you know, beauty standard. And lunches are always talking about who's dieting next and what the next diet you're on. And I always was like, very concerned about why we always just have to talk at the lunch table about 
what we're eating, why we're eating it. So exhausting. It's so boring. It's so boring. Like, oh, Keisha, what did you bring for lunch today? Your food always looks so good. Oh, I just have a salad today. I'm so bummed about it. Mm-hmm. When I'm like eating like leftover pasta for lunch, like it doesn't matter. I'm feeding my body and it starts to get uncomfortable. The whole thing is uncomfortable. And then you start thinking like, well, I should just eat at my desk because I can't handle another day of this diet talk and listening to people hating their bodies because if they hate their bodies, God, I can't imagine what they think about mine. That narrative is so toxic. I remember when I worked in women's magazines, my nightmare was office birthdays early 2000s so like magnolia bakery cupcakes were very big they were like sex on the city mm-hmm. cupcakes so someone would always order this tray of like amazing cupcakes and then everyone it was like cupcake chicken nobody could eat the cupcake <laughs> <laughs> all these women just standing <laughs> around being like oh no oh no i couldn't oh no i'll just have like a little lick of the frosting <laughs> the funniest thing is like when you bring donuts into a design room <laughs> everybody wants the donuts you know everybody wants the donuts Everyone wants to eat a donut, but you know what we will do? We'll take a knife and we'll cut it in fourths and we'll just eat little pieces. And we'll probably eat like, I don't know, three donuts in total because we're each taking a quarter of a donut and everybody is going back and forth to the table to get a little bite of donut. And it's just like, take the freaking donut. Just eat the donut and be okay with it. But it's weird. Every company I've been to. The irony too of food on photo shoots for fashion, like these elaborate spreads for lunch. It's such a waste. Yeah, not only feeling that way, like feeling insecure about what my lunch is going to be for the day, but also feeling like I always have to constantly look like I'm busy Mm -hmm. because the stigma of being fat, I'm lazy. Oh, yeah. Interesting. I've always heard I have no sense of urgency and I don't know what that looks like. What does a sense of urgency look like? running from place to place for what yeah you're not putting out fires you're designing clothes I'm answering the emails I'm hitting my deadlines I'm doing my job so I don't know what you mean by there's no sense of urgency if I've completed my task isn't that urgent enough right sounds like a lot of very coded language it feels that way Mm -hmm. Because you don't say that to other people who have been scrolling on their computer for days now. But the second you see me pick up my phone to answer a text message, I have a lack of urgency for my job. That's a really toxic double standard. Yeah. And a super big microaggression because it's like, what do you mean when you say I have no sense of urgency? I would be interested to sort of hear them try to explain it, even though it would not go well, (laughs) even though they would only dig themselves deeper. I started out in handbag design straight out of fashion school because that was the only assistant designer job I could find. So I didn't have any experience in apparel yet. My second job was at a activewear company. My first experience with women's apparel and I had a lot to learn. I started there and my manager at the time, I was maybe two weeks in we were sprawled out on the floor going over like line sheets and I remember her saying to me can I give you a little bit of feedback 
And I was like, sure, yeah, I welcome it. Like anything I can do to improve. And she said, I need you to hustle a little bit more. And it completely spun me around because I was like, well, you know, I'm trying. I just don't know the processes yet. It was my first experience with dealing with a sample room, with sample makers, and I wasn't used to the process. So two weeks in, I'm brand new, and you're telling me I need to hustle. Like, okay, loud and clear. Mm -hmm. And by the time it was three months, she still wasn't satisfied with my performance, and she handed me off to a different brand, which is fine. I think that there's just a little bit of disconnect in leadership if you're not willing to teach. And also not willing to sort of understand people's contexts are different and results can be achieved in different ways. This isn't assembly line work where everyone needs to do the same job in the exact same way. Yeah, and I feel like in order to get the results that you want, you have to be willing to teach. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a huge part of a disconnect in the industry is nobody is willing to teach. Not willing to teach and also not willing to learn. Another way of saying you don't hustle is to say you are careful and methodical. And isn't that a useful skill? I mean, there's a way of reframing these concepts Mm -hmm. to understand that someone might be bringing real strengths to the table. Again, even Mm -hmm. getting away from the fact that probably you were hustling just fine and that was just a coded way (laughs) of talking about you. Well, I do want to make sure we talk about your job now, because it sounds like you're now in a place where it's not perfect, but you are able to accomplish more of what you set out to do, which is exciting to hear about. Yes. So my career goal this whole time I've been in the fashion industry is to be a part of inclusive design. I think I would not be living my truth if I wasn't able to produce things that I could actually wear. So I work at Forever 21 now. I am a senior designer on the Plus team. There is another senior designer who joins me. And we're all kind of brand new, except for the senior, the other senior designer. She's got history with the company, but I feel like we're sort of on this path to really making an impact in the Plus business. As you know, the Plus business is like, a billion-dollar industry, Mm -hmm. and there's only a handful of companies who serve plus women, in which we make up about, what, 67% of the population, which is bananas, that we are underserving this community that makes up more than half the population. So I'm really excited about the future work of what we're doing at Forever 21, I think in order to prove ourselves and gain the trust of the community, we have a lot to work on. Mm -hmm. Not only the Forever 21 community, but the plus Forever 21 customer. I think we have really disappointed her in the past. Mm -hmm. I think in the beginning, she was so excited that we were available to her at an affordable price point. But I think over time, we've just really disappointed her. And I can understand because I was her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I still am her. So I think right now I'm really, really excited about the direction that we're heading in serving the Forever 21 Plus girl. It's going to take a little bit to get to where we'd like to be. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of things happening about 
maybe mid-year that I'm really, really excited about. And this denim launch is one of them. And when you say the Forever 21 Plus girl, I'm assuming we're talking about mostly teenagers or 20-somethings? I think it's a little bit different for the Forever 21 Plus girl. I think the Forever 21 girl, she's younger, she's fun, she's fresh. But I think for our girl, she's a little bit of everybody. But I think we still do stay in that realm of fun and fresh and exciting. But we also want to provide other women a place to be able to walk in the store and grab something that will fit them, Mm. that fits their personality, that fits their style, that stays sort of on trend for the plus girl, even if she's not 25 Mm -hmm. looking for like a going out outfit. Got it. Which is what I remember being like, Forever 21, I'm going to go buy a little, <laughs> a little it's LBD. My, my going out top, yep. Going out top. <laughs> and then sort of make it more of a lifestyle brand. Oh, very interesting. That's kind of what I would hope for the company. And we're really trying to nail down certain categories like woven tops, knit tops, dresses, because I feel like we have a huge opportunity because... As a plus-size woman, I love a dress. Mm -hmm. It's so easy. And I feel like there are areas in our dresses category we can absolutely improve on. And I feel like that is the easiest piece of garment that anybody can go out and purchase Mm -hmm. and like really speak to their individuality, their comfort. So we do try to stick to what juniors, what we call it, the straight size part of Forever 21. We sort of like share the same designs, but on the plus size designer side, we do exclusive styles that juniors doesn't have. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So each season, even though we have very like significant amount less SKUs, than juniors does Mm -hmm. we still try to implement their designs that we feel would work for a plus size body and then also bring in our exclusive designs that we know will work on a plus size body because we understand plus size bodies that are different you and i touched on this in our last interview that there really are not a lot of folks in bigger bodies working in fashion design is there some kind of secret network of fat designers we can all be showing up for? Like, how if do there we get is, more of you? I want in. If there is, I want in. <laughs> we need to find it. I know. Like, how do I put out a like a mating call for my fellow plus size? <laughs> some kind of bat signal. Yes, <laughs> just something. Something. Where do I find them? Yeah, within my career, I've only run into probably three other plus size designers working in the plus size industry. I'm sure there are more out there, but I don't know where they're hiding. That's staggering. It really is because it's such a loss of talent and a loss of knowledge. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it just explains so much. Like if you want to understand why plus customers are so often disappointed, why the clothes haven't worked for so long, that's why. Right. (laughs) But then you have to think like outside of... If I were not in the industry, I don't think that I would be encouraged to be in the industry Mm -hmm. because just in general, beauty and fashion standards are so white, so Mm -hmm. thin, 
And I would be intimidated by that. I would be like, there's no way that a person like me could get a job in an industry like that. And your early experiences show it was not easy. It's not easy. And it's so interesting because when I leave companies or when I talk to different managers and leadership, they're always very encouraging. They're always like, we need people like you. And I'm like, well, why don't you hire people like me? (laughs) You could have people like me. Guess what? Funny thing. Yeah, that says a lot. (laughs) So going back to, yeah, I want to... I want to know that there's more women and even people who look like me who are out there in corporate fashion who are really doing the work and really making the change within because we're the ones that really get it. Yeah. We're the ones that really, really get it because I do often sit in rooms where people who don't look like me say, oh, the girl's not going to like that. And I look and I immediately am like, why not? Oh, interesting. Like what? Give us an example of that. Right now, cutouts are a trend. Mm-hmm, they are. If you I haven't have noticed. <laughs> cutouts are a very big trend right now. And sometimes people are very apprehensive about how a plus girl would feel about cutouts. People are like, oh, she's not going to wear that. It's going to show too much. Mm. And it's like, Maybe one girl might not wear it, but what about the other girl that's like, I love this trend. I wish it was my size. I often hear from folks saying, you know, stop with the cutouts. I just need to find like a basic t-shirt. Like I'm just looking for like solid functional clothes. Like I think a lot about like LL Bean doesn't make plus sizes. So what if you want to go hiking? But then you're absolutely right. There's also lots of us craving trends and craving design and not getting that as well. Especially when you're getting fewer SKU numbers, how do you meet all those needs? It's difficult. It's difficult because especially with core things like t-shirts and jeans, you have to kind of project your numbers for how much you're essentially thinking of buying in these categories Mm -hmm. but so then you have a small skew count for what you actually want as far as fashion what makes it even smaller is like bringing in the juniors design and like what you're going to tag on for those Mm -hmm. and then you have like this much of a pool for exclusive Mm -hmm. designs designed by women who actually understand a plus body so it's hard to really decipher what you lean into and what you say, like, this is going to be a thing and what you say isn't going to be a thing. So the other designer and I sit together and we talk about things and we look at the assortment that the buyers have chosen for the month. And we basically give our feedback. If we see something in fittings and we're like, I love the direction that you're going here with this, but I don't think that it's going to execute the way that you Mm -hmm. want it to. We have to flag it. We have to say like, hey, I don't know about this. It's not going to work for a plus girl. How can we change Mm -hmm. it? How can we enhance it to make it fit our girl? For example, last week I had a jumpsuit come in. Really, really cute for a junior's girl, for a skinny girl that could wear this it was like super deep v Mm. cut and the v ended like at the waistline Mm. and it was tie up halter at the neck but then there was another piece that tied in the back as a tie panel and i was like okay this isn't Mm -hmm. gonna work Mm -hmm. there's too much here it's too open on the sides 
The leg shape is nice. So I reached out to the buyers and I was like, hey, listen, (laughs) I have some reservations about this. And they were like, yeah, it doesn't look great on the model. How can we fix it? So I sent over a sketch and I was like, here's something that I think that we could change it to that she would resonate with. But it's more wearable. Mm -hmm. If there's something that we think is absolutely like unsalvageable, like we have to say this is not going to work. But if there's something like I can change it to fix it to make it look different, but still kind of hold the same ethos of the other design, but just we have to make it wearable because the plus girl is going to look at that and be like, in no way. <laughs> Where are my boobs going? Yeah. <laughs> Where? Wow. What bra? Yeah. The first what question. What bra can you wear with that? What bra am that I going to wear? That was my first thought when you described the jumpsuit. It was... Because not every girl is going to be okay with doing boob right. tape. It just doesn't right. work. Right. So you have to think about, like, what bra is she going to wear with this? Because I'm going to tell you right now, she's not going to go braless yeah. in this with no support. No. I will just say for listeners who love to go braless, you do you. We're not shaming anyone for not wearing bras. No, 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 <laughs> but. no. But, you know, even me, like, I love to free the nip. But... There was nothing holding you in. (laughs) So, you know, what's interesting is you're talking a lot about, obviously, a big part of your job is like, okay, taking these juniors' designs and how do we enhance? I love that you're using the word enhance for the plus girl. What about if you were just sort of starting from, I'm designing for the plus girl, budget is no object. Mm -hmm. What would you be doing differently from the get-go to design better clothes for bigger bodies? Or what problems do you see as fixable, but no one is really tackling them right now? The number one thing is fit. And I think that we could be putting more investment into fit. It just takes too Mm -hmm. long, Mm -hmm. way too long to adjust, way too long to put on different bodies. We fit twice a week and the other designer and I, we really dedicate a lot of time to it. Probably like each day we're fitting up to like four hours, Mm -hmm. sometimes five It's a lot of work, but I feel like if I were to start from scratch, no, it would be putting a lot of investment into fit, a lot of time and a lot of energy into fit because that is the number one thing that people and brands get wrong about plus clothing. Yeah, it feels like a very under-resourced area. It is, and it's, it's interesting too because the industry is changing not only for plus, but for straight size bodies too, as far as like different measurements and different body shapes that they sort of take into consideration. But there's still also designers that out there that don't take into consideration different body shapes, even for mm-hmm. straight size women. The legacy of Carl Lagerfeld <laughs> is very rich, I think. <laughs> and the like, bodies should be clothes hangers for our vision kind of. But it's like, is, but what if yeah. the hangers are like, a little curvier. What if I don't want to be a clothes hanger? What right. if I want to be a person wearing clothes? Right. Like it's a right. really an insulting <clears throat> proposition. Totally. Frankly. Totally. Yeah. Like I'm not just here to just be perceived. Right. <laughs> so yeah, I think my number one thing would be to focus on fit. Number two is fabric. I think sometimes even if something fits good, if it doesn't feel right on your body, it's like you're uncomfortable. So I think comfort and fit and comfort and feel are like two heavy hitters for me. That makes so much sense. I feel like you just articulated why some clothes I've bought that I've sort of liked 
even when I see them on my body, I like them, but I don't reach for them. And it's often a feel and comfort issue. Like even if it works, it doesn't work because it doesn't feel good to wear. So the last thing I wanted to talk about is what can consumers be doing? How much does our feedback matter? On Instagram, there are always lots of different campaigns going around Mm -hmm. trying to sort of attract the attention of brands Mm -hmm. to take the plus consumer more seriously. And I don't know how effective those are. And if they're not effective, what would be something better we can do? I'm just curious to hear your thoughts as someone who's inside the industry. Right. I think if you're straight size and you don't know what it's like to have the struggle to find clothes as a plus size body, advocate for that. The same brands, if you're like, oh my God, I love this dress in this certain brand, I wish that you would actually extend your size range. Do you know how cool it is to have everybody be able to wear your clothes? Mm -hmm. That is an amazing thing. And I think to advocate for that as a straight size person, you are doing your brothers and sisters justice. Because I don't know what it is about fashion companies when they hear feedback from skinny white women, they actually listen. Mm. Take notes, listeners. We have work to do. And you say, hey, you know, I really love this, but I can't support this because you don't extend your size range. I'm glad to know that you think that is feedback brands will listen to. I mean, obviously, it's ridiculous that they will hear it best from thin white women and not from the plus customers. But it is good to know that it's useful to do that because I think sometimes people worry that it's just hashtag activism or sort of performative. Yeah. At Forever 21, we have like a newsletter that goes out pretty much every week that highlights top comments and not so great comments. And consistently across the board, there's always a comment that's like, why is the plus not in more stores? Mm. Why is the plus section so small? Why isn't your online plus section not great? You're like, I'm on it. I'm on it. I'm like, (laughs) I'm telling you over and over again, literally ask me the questions and I'll tell you exactly what people are feeling Mm -hmm. because I live it. I live it every single day. I'm, I'm in the body of it. I feel it. I'm Even coming to work, I'm seeing it like, damn, I wish I could wear that. Mm. Yeah, I just want to have a moment for the rage I feel that you can't wear the clothes you design sometimes. (laughs) It's hard. And so when I was working, you know, doing private label for Target, it was such a cool feeling walking into a Target store and being like, that's what I did. That's a part of me. Like I put in the work for that. That was, that's really, really cool. And I feel like people will be more excited. And this goes back to, you know, having more plus bodies in the design room. I feel like people would be more supportive if they knew who was actually designing their things. Oh, I agree with that. I would love to be putting my dollars behind brands that were hiring plus Mm -hmm. designers who are really doing, you know, and aren't just doing the sort of made well version of like, inclusivity that's not inclusive and that is clearly something that a marketing focus group told you to do but you aren't really putting the intention behind it so yeah and I think a good example of sort of a brand that has really put in the effort is anthropology really interesting I think so of course they have room to do better and Mm -hmm. improve Mm -hmm. but I think as far as being inclusive and also being really on brand with their plus style. Yes, I see what you're saying. Yes, they definitely deliver the same level of fashion to the plus sizes and the straight sizes. I mean, there's still often that thing of like, oh, I want it in blue and only the straight size has it in blue. 
That whole, which is a whole economics piece that you and I talked about. I'm just like, why can't we buy all the colors of it? It's really irritating. Mm -hmm. We talked about this last time we spoke, but within the community of plus size people, especially the super fats, Mm -hmm. super fat and infinity fats, if we can start supporting the brands who actually run those extended size ranges, Mm -hmm. you put the data behind actually pushing forth that movement. Because I've talked to people, it's such a nuanced conversation because yes, it should be happening. We should have up to size 40, but it's just the lack of dollars Mm -hmm. that the consumers put in supporting it. Mm -hmm. It's hard to keep it alive. It's such a catch-22. The product's not what people want, so they don't buy it, but then the companies don't have the sales and around and around we go. (laughs) Yeah. So in supporting the plus size fashion conversation, straight women can advocate for their favorite brands to extend, but also plus women can advocate for their dollars being put into Mm -hmm really supporting these companies who do actually go up to size 40 or 32 because then they'll see like, okay, I'm seeing momentum that people want this. Of course it's needed. Of course people out there need clothes and want fashionable clothes to fit their bodies. If we don't see the data and the dollars behind it, it's hard to keep it going. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great reminder for small fat folks like me that just because we're excited, we can shop in anthropology now. There are other brands that need our support and we have work we can be Absolutely. doing. Mm-hmm. So before we wrap up, we always do Butter for Your Burnt Toast, which is our recommendation segment. So tell us what you would like to recommend today. It can be fashion related or not at all. I've been reading Brene Brown's new book. Mm. I can't remember the title of it, though. Brene Brown's new book is phenomenal. It's so good. And it's helping me with like a lot of healing. Oh, wow. And I just love the way that she writes in general. So I do recommend if you go, even if you buy her book on like her audio book version of it, I think it's worth listening and reading to. Mm -hmm. It's really, really great. And I recommend that you journal and drink your water every day. (laughs) I love both of those recommendations. My recommendation, because I am in the Northeast and it is four degrees outside and we all are questioning our life choices is why we live here. My recommendation for my northern climate people is get yourself a winter blooming houseplant. It is snow and ice outside, but my African violets are blooming this week, and it's bringing oh me so much joy to see, like, some little spark of green in life <laughs> to, That's like, amazing. hold me on for the next uh, month or two, however long it takes us to get to warm weather again. See, I can't keep plants alive. That's the one thing that I can't do. African violets are pretty easy. You just need a bright windowsill, and they do like okay. to stay moist, but they okay. don't really require a lot of special care or anything. Um, I'm not I'm not good at keeping plants alive. <laughs> I will openly admit it. The other thing about African violets is they're pretty inexpensive. Like mine are $3 from the grocery store. Wow. So you can just enjoy okay. them while they bloom and then <laughs> let if them, they die, then let them go with love, you know? Okay. <laughs> it's yep. all good. I try. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us. Let folks know how they can follow more of your work. 
I am at KLZ on Instagram. I don't share a bunch of my work on there. It's kind of like a blog slash personal slash like, I guess, influence. Hey, we're here But fun. yeah, at KLZ on Instagram, you can find me there. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Virginia. Thanks so much for listening to Burnt Toast. Once again, if you'd like to support the show, please subscribe for free in your podcast player and tell a friend about this episode and consider a paid subscription to the Burnt Toast newsletter. You get a ton of cool perks and you keep this an ad and sponsor free space. Just click the link in your episode description or go to virginiasoulsmith.substack.com. The Burnt Toast podcast is produced and hosted by me, Virginia Soul Smith. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at the underscore soulsmith. Our transcripts are edited and formatted by Corinne Fay, who runs at Cell Trade Plus, an Instagram account where you can buy and sell plus-size clothing. The Burnt Toast logo is by Deanna Lowe. Our theme music is by Jeff Bailey and Chris Maxwell. And Tommy Heron is our audio engineer. Thanks for listening and supporting independent anti-diet journalism. I'll talk to you soon.